your heads, let's pray over the word, then we'll jump right in, okay? Holy Spirit, help us to be friendly. Amen. That's a good place to stop. Um, I, I uh, have some great friendships in my life. I've nurtured those friendships. I have friendships that are uh, almost as old as I am. Uh, friendships that I've made since I've lived uh, in Texas for now 20 years that I have going on almost uh, 20 years. And one of the things that I find very, very important, uh, because you all know this about me by now, uh, if you've spent any length of time here, I am a literalist. I take things literally. And so um, uh, I would, I, because of that reason, it is difficult for me to use um, slang. It's very difficult for me to use words that don't mean what I think the word means by definition, uh, because it'll just make me go crazy. Uh, I was in New York last night, and there's a, um, uh, a gospel worship artist named Big Daddy Weave. Uh, anybody ever heard of Big Daddy Weave? Okay, so Big Daddy Weave, great guy. I, I, had, I had never heard of him, um, uh, and they're showing uh, a clip of Big Daddy Weave, and so I see this clip of him, and because of his name, um, <laughs> when they showed him, I got the first two words instantly. That, okay, Big Daddy, you, yes, okay, that's your stature. But he was bald-headed. So I was like, I'm not sure he thought that through because I don't see where the weave is. is. Does he keep a bald head so he can switch wigs? I mean, where is the... He, is, is, he said Big Daddy Weave. Now my brain's going crazy trying to figure out where's the weave? I know there's, I don't know if it's a gift or a curse or both, but being a literalist sometimes has its challenges. Um, I take the words very seriously. So if I call someone friend, I mean it. And we live in a culture where that word is used so casually that it staggers me. That you can meet somebody and seven minutes later be like, oh my goodness, give me your number. No. I'm not, I'm not, I've only known you seven minutes. And you've been the nicest person for seven minutes. But that doesn't mean we're boys? That doesn't mean we're cool. That doesn't mean I'm giving you my number. You're amazing. Oh, 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 oh. No. It's not going to happen. So, so, so people get frustrated with me when I first meet them because usually uh, in a first exchange, we can hit it off real good. And, and I have a, the type of personality that, that I, I connect with people. And, and then but they get fooled into thinking that means we cut covenant. And we didn't. This was just a very engaging conversation. They're like, man, we got to keep in touch. Let me get your number. And I'm like, my email is. And I don't know what it is about this day and age, but if you start off with an email, it's almost a, oh, you're one of those people. And the email, well, well, sir. Well, I'm not trying to be mean. But I don't know you, so 
going to give you my email. And if you use it, then we might have to go to the next step. So point number one, I want you to write this down. Vet your friends. <laughs> Vet your friends. Psalm chapter 101, uh, I've committed it to memory. My boys, Nathan and Noah, who are eight and six, have committed this to memory. David starts off with a, a, a personal uh, declaration of his integrity. Uh, most kings in Israel during this time would actually have this read or have to recite this at their coronation. This is uh, what they would use to uh, declare their commitment to character and integrity. Here's what it says. I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come and help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. This is personally what he's saying to, my, to himself. I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will re reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure it, conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house and liars will not stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. Six, seven, and eight are vetting verses. Here's what he's saying. I've committed my personal life to one of character and integrity. I'm not going to look at anything vile and vulgar. I'm going to stay away from every evil. I I I'm going to keep myself pure. There's a commitment that I've made before God. And if I've made that commitment personally, I only want to be around people who have made the same type of commitment that I've made. So I'm going to search for people. I'm going to search for people who have this same commitment to integrity that I do. I'm going to vet them out. And if I see any attributes that don't line up with God's character and his integrity in the same way that I want to do it, that person cannot be my friend. If I get around people and I find out they're liars, they're not going to be in my house. People that deceive, I'm not going to be around them. Those that don't live their life above reproach, I am not hanging out with those people. There's a vetting process here. And listen, for all the community that we want to see people have in the body of Christ, listen, it's a big body. <laughs> and everyone comes in these doors from different corners. And sometimes they need some time to figure some stuff out. And you're going to always be a member of the body of Christ. But you're going to have to make a commitment as a disciple. If you're going to go into a covenant relationship and see your life get stronger and be transformed. So vet them. A lot of times we come to church and we say, oh, we're in church and that person said they're a Christian. And so we're, we're friends instantaneously. No, 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 it's 2016. I have to figure out what kind of Christian you are. This is part of the vetting process. I believe in Jesus. So do I. 
okay. I don't have sex before marriage. I don't lie. I've committed my life to purity. I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want my good to be evil spoken of. I can't spend the night at your house. I don't want anything to be done that's unseemly or ungodly. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. It, it's, do, do you want that kind of? I don't think it takes all that. Vetting approved. You're done. <laughs> bye bye. Vet them. You're not being mean if you vet them. You're not being rude if you vet them. All you're trying to do is figure out, are, are, you, are you committed to the walk like I am? I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Is that something you committed to as well? Or will hanging with you compromise my value? I want to live above reproach. If, 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 if there are things that you find uh, 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 appropriate that I don't find appropriate, it crosses the line, um, and I step back from that, or, am I going to be accused of being deep or, or spiritual? You're too, see, you're too spiritual. Now, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to live right, and this is what it takes for me. Now, maybe you don't have the same conviction that I have, uh, but in this vetting process, I just need to know where we can both stand together because that's going to let me know how far this relationship can go. Because if you don't want to do that, then, then you'll be my brother in the Lord. And I'll wave at you at church. But like, we're probably not going to hang out, though. I think it's very, very important. If it was good enough for King David, <laughs> it's probably good enough for us. Jesus was a vetter. Jesus was a profound vetter of his relationships. He was engaged with people. He had three very close friends, Peter, James, and John. But, but remember, in John chapter number six, and you should go read this, it's delicious. Jesus gives this very, very repulsive uh, series of statements to uh, a group of his main disciples, an extended amount of disciples, and some people that he just fed uh, fish and loaves to. They say to him, hey, we saw you do this stuff and we want to be around you. And he says, listen, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. The manna that you talked about and saw in the Old Testament, uh, Moses didn't give that to the people of Israel. My father gave it to the pizza, uh, children of Israel. And, and if you really want to have a full context, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. They're like, huh? He's like, yes, I'm the bread. As a matter of fact, uh, let me break it down even more to you. Uh, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't be my disciple. Now, Jesus knew after the first time he said it that they have no context to communion. They are literally thinking to themselves, I'm sorry, what, I'm sorry, what did you just say? He goes on to say it four more times. Yeah, like if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you can't be my disciple. Like for real, like if you don't eat my whole body and drink my blood, you won't be my disciple. Like, okay, let me break down more. If you don't chew me up and then gulp me down, you cannot be my disciple. Okay, let me put it this way. If you don't eat me 
is getting more repulsive every time he says it. Here's what the scripture says. Many of his disciples are standing there confused. Jesus knows their thoughts. He refuses to clear it up. He just stands there. <laughs> Let's see what y'all see what y'all do with that. So uh, 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 the majority of the disciples that day were like, listen, I'm going to have to, I'm going to go. They leave. They literally start walking away. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus watches them. Then he turns to his original 12 and says, are y'all going to leave too? (laughs) What was Jesus doing? He was vetting. He was vetting his relationships. And here's the thing. He went another 18 months before they got the revelation. He didn't wait till they left and said, no, okay, let me break this down what I really mean. He's like, okay, guys, you guys ready to go? His original 12 disciples are like, oh, oh so, so Peter, are we going to eat them or? You got to go first, bro, because you're, you're the most bold out of all of us. So after you bite them, we'll bite them. 18 months later, later, they're in an upper room. He goes, without them knowing it, uh, breaks bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to him and says, take, eat. This is my body. <laughs> yeah, what? It's, it's, <laughs> mm. Oh, man. Oh, that bread is good. Li- li- man. Man, we was going to eat you, man. I'd already made up in my mind. I know how this is going to go. We was going to eat you. You mean bread. Then he pours the wine and he take drink. This is my body. This is my blood. <laughs> yes. Sometimes walking with God means that you go through a period where you don't have a revelation. But it could be that he's vetting you. Why are you with me? Because I fed you? Or because I led you. I think you need to know the people that are in your life. Why are you with me? (laughs) Is God really forming a relationship here? Or is this something else? So point number one is vet your relationships. Oh, point number two. Please brace yourself for this point. Oh, Oh my goodness. Are y'all ready for point number two? No, for real. Like, I need to know. I kind of really need to know if you're ready, because if you're not ready, ooh. You ready? Okay, point number two, write this down. Drop your friends. In quotations. Drop your friends. Now, why am I saying friends in quotations? Uh, Because they're not really your friends. Book of Jonah, chapter number one. Book of Jonah, chapter number one. I'm going to read this with you all uh, so that you can know that, um, like, I didn't make this up. You've probably never seen it from this perspective before. You guys got it up on the screens? You ready? Okay. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. 
But Jonah got up and went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went aboard, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. (laughs) Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Sounds like vetting to me. But they didn't ask that until after he was on the boat. Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the land, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they had already told them, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. And it will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. You after him, not us. That's what it said parenthetically. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were all struck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Drop your friends. Now, now, who are your friends? Who are the quotation mark friends? People that make drama break out. Well, there's storms of life coming to all of our lives. How how would I be able to vet and know that they're not really a friend? Because they'll be the only ones that are not in a panic. The sailors going to Tarshish were on their way to the place that they were supposed to go. That was their destination. And then somebody got on the boat going the same direction they were going, but who were not supposed to be going that direction. Now, now these are experienced sailors. They knew the time and the seasons that storms would break out. They knew when uh, there would be uh, high winds or when there would be storms. And so they had picked a good time to travel. It was the season to travel. They go on this direction. This storm comes out of nowhere. And they panic. Ah! 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 We got we to gotta lighten the load. We got to do something to get, get lighter. We have to do something to, to get control. And they started throwing over stuff they needed. 
They started throwing over their resources. They started throwing over their precious things. Trying to bring stability to the boat, it didn't work. And while they're running around, they notice there's a passenger on the boat who doesn't seem to be as concerned as everyone else. He's so not concerned, he's asleep. The captain has to go wake him up. Hey, will you get up and call on the name of your gods, please? What are you doing? Jonah doesn't do it. And the reason why I know he doesn't do it, because I love the way they try to discern the Lord's will in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, um, because the same way Matthias got into being one of the apostles, they rolled dice. Like, again, I have a very vivid imagination. I don't know how there's a raging storm. And you've already thrown stuff over. And you're like, we about to figure this out. Y'all ready? Anyway, so they rolled the dice and they said all the vetting stuff that they probably should have asked before he got on the ship. Because where'd he come from? Who are you? What is your name? What nationality are you? And he tells them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. And this whole storm is really my fault. Why did you, why are you running away from the Lord's will? Because we're going the way we're supposed to go. And because you're with us, disobediently, we're now experiencing the, effect, experiencing the effect of your disobedience. What should we do with you? And Jonah was so honest. He was like, throw me over the boat. Like, you got to throw me into the sea. It's my fault that this storm is raging. Wouldn't it be great if all the people... That is not supposed to be in your life. Would it be honest enough to say, you need to break up with me because I'm just no good for you. Never have been, never will. I just need to, I just want to be honest with you right now. I'm kind of a deadbeat. Um, and uh, you just probably just need to leave me alone. I'm a really good liar. You've caught me five times. And uh, you probably should just, just leave me alone, because I don't, I don't want to quit. I have no intentions of stopping lying. And... <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if they told you that? They are. They do tell you. They don't tell you in word. They do tell you in deed. Their actions prove it. Let me tell you what the sailors did, which is what most of us do, when we know there's an unhealthy relationship that we need to break off. We try harder. The sailors heard him say, throw me over the, into the sea. I'm the one that's causing it. Here's what scripture says. They started rowing harder. No. We can make it. I'm no good for you. I'm poisoning your relationship with God. Uh, I'm taking you away from your devotion time. You haven't been healthy, 
and centered with Christ since you met me. No, you'll change. I lied to you three times and stole from you five times. You'll give it back. But even in our human strength, trying to right the ship with the wrong people on it, after a while, it gets tiring. And after they tried this and their back started hurting, they were like, look, (laughs) Lord, the God of Jonah. We are so sorry for what we have to do to him. Get his legs. <laughs> I got his arm. Lord, will you please help your servant swim? In Jesus' name, amen. They tossed him. They dropped him. Here's what they didn't know. God had arranged a well for Jonah. You know why most people have a difficult time breaking up an unhealthy friendship? They start to feel obligated and codependent for them. What's good if, but if I'm not their friend, what would they do? You're not Jehovah Jireh. You're not their provider. You're not Jehovah Shalom. You're not responsible for their peace. You are not El Shaddai. You're not the person that is more than enough for them. You may have a codependent spirit that needs to be broken, and the only way to break them is to throw it or to jump. (laughs) I knew point two was going to be like, (laughs) But I really feel this strongly. In order for us to really nurture the true friendships that we have, you got to cut off the ones that are toxic and unhealthy. This is really difficult to do in a family structure. I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to draw the line. But it's your son. It's your daughter. It's your mom. It's your dad. At some point, you're going to have to grow up. At some point, little Jimmy is 37. That's not even little Jimmy anymore. He's medium Jimmy. He's almost big Jimmy. And you can't treat him like he's 11. But if, I don't, if I'm not there, nobody will be there. It's probably just what he needs. There's a well for him. And it will be uncomfortable in that well, and it will be stinky in that well, but he'll live. And God will get him back to where he wanted him to be in the first place so he could be who he called him to be in the first place. Point number three, write this down. Love your friends. Love your friends. Proverbs chapter number 18 Verse number 24 says this. There are friends. You guys see that? It's in quotations. (laughs) I didn't put those quotations there. 
the great people who did the New Living Translation did. There are friends who destroy each other. Well, why is it in quotations? Because they can't be your friends if they're destroying you. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Anybody got friends like that? Good. Proverbs 27. I'll read two verses and I'll be done. Proverbs 27, verse number six says this. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Let's say it again. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Here's how you know you're getting into a covenant relationship when your friend can tell you the truth and you don't run away from the relationship out of offense. I have great friends in my life, starting with my wife one down, who will tell me the truth about myself, even if I don't want to hear it, because they love me. You need people in your life who can tell you the truth about you. And you can receive it or you can throw a tantrum and still let the relationship live. I meet people that sometimes they, they meet someone and, man, that person's really cool. And then they have a tough conversation. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> How, what, what happened? They told me something, I didn't like it, and <laughs> Have you ever thought that they loved you enough to tell you? Like, if somebody came up to you and said, hey, listen, I'm, I want to talk to you about something. I've been thinking about this, and uh, I just want to share it with you because I love you. Your breath smells. <laughs> now listen, your breath smells, and uh, nobody will tell you, but I'm telling you because I love you, and I, I just, I, I want to tell you the truth because I love you. Everybody else says it behind your back. I'm saying it to your face. Your breath smells. Now listen, I'm not just telling you that to hurt your feelings. I think I've come up with a solution. I went to the grocery store. I bought you a toothbrush with a setting on it that will actually brush your teeth for you. And I've bought you a tongue scraper. Because whether you know it or not, 90% of your bacteria is laying on your tongue. So maybe nobody even exposed you to a tongue scraper. I'm giving you this tongue scraper. I'm going to give you this quick tip that my father taught me. Brush the roof of your mouth and the cheeks, the side in, inside your cheeks. And I'm going to give you this Listerine will bless your life. I want you to swish with this for 30 seconds. And I promise you, we'll probably never have this conversation again. And nobody talk behind your back, but I'm telling you this because I love you. And if that doesn't work, my cousin's a dentist, and he's dealt with the most severe cases of halitosis you've ever seen, and people come out on the other side like a champ. You'll be able to say, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. No one's going to be offended. If your response to that is, I hate you. I thought you loved me. They do love you. 
That's why they told you the truth. Now, I chose a humorous one. But, but I've had people tell me, you have a lot of pride. Your ego is out of control. I don't, I don't even know that you're being insensitive right now. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know. Thank you. I couldn't even see it. Maybe I was under a lot of stress. Maybe I hadn't eaten. Maybe I was just being a jerk. But if someone can't tell you that and you accept it, you can't grow. And hear me. The loner, Jesus is my friend and that's all I need person. I don't need any friends. I have Jesus. No, you don't have any friends. And you're blaming it on Jesus. The people that spend a thousand hours with Jesus vertically and zero hours with people horizontally just get weird. The Lord just has me in a place because of my relationship with him that I just can't have friends. No, that's not even biblical. <laughs> like when he made the church, he didn't like have a special ops team of loners <laughs> that he needs to talk to 24 seven. We were made to be in community <laughs> and he didn't make you with your deep prayer life to be so covert with him and angels that you can't talk to people. It's like not even it's not even this book. So be able to take the wound of a friend. Because it's better than the person that flatters you all the time and tells you what you want. Do I look good? You look amazing. No, you don't. Okay. Verse number nine, and we'll stop on this one. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. The wound of a friend is a blessing because it, it helps you to see stuff you couldn't see. And the heartfelt counsel of a friend is the sweetest perfume and incense. I have some great friends that give me incredible godly counsel. They just, they just do. And when I get that counsel from them, nine times out of ten, they're just confirming what the Holy Spirit's already told me or is trying to tell me. I just needed to hear it from the Lord with skin on. That's what a real godly friendship is. It's just the Lord talking to you with skin on. And so I want you to evaluate the relationships that you have. Are you vetting them correctly? Are you dropping the ones that are unhealthy? And are you loving and nurturing the ones that are? It may be that tonight, you may need to just get on the phone on the drive home and call your friend and say, I love you. And I don't even think I've told you why. You make me a better person. If it, if it wasn't for God bringing you in my life, I, I, I wouldn't know how good it is to be unconditionally loved and how, how good it is to have somebody to laugh with and someone that can look past all of my uh, uh, mistakes and my failures and still see me as a person who's madly in love with God. You've never judged me, but you've, you've always been there to tell me the truth, and I really appreciate that. That call may need to go out tonight. 
Some of you all may need to have a call where it's like, hey, it's not you. It's me. I kind of have to go. And you kind of have to get thrown. Don't tell them that part. Um, don't, don't call somebody and say, I'm throwing you off my boat. My pastor said, you're no good for me. You're a deadbeat. And your breath smells. No, don't say that. I think that, um, especially in this season, Michael talked about it earlier, Michael Exum, you need some people around you that will help you stay close to God. And it's hard to do that by yourself. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Jesus, on his best day, transfigured on the Mount of Olives, had his friends with him. And on his worst day in the Garden of Gethsemane, had his friends with him. Now let me tell you how I know these were his friends. They fell asleep. He got a little frustrated, but he didn't kick them out. Because <laughs> it's your friends. Good, bad, and ugly. One denied him. He's like, you're still my friend. We're going to go through life together. So, steward your friends. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?